Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, yeah. Stand up and shout. Welcome to Band Radio Show. Coming to you each Monday and Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Black Brooks Rock. We are more than just a niche. We are a movement says Ella Curry of EDC Creations. Prepare for the most stimulating conversation on the planet. Sit back, relax, enjoy another mind-blowing literary experience. Give the gift of knowledge. Put your hands together for your host, Ella D. Curry. I'm your host, Ella Kerr. Tonight is our third night of Black Books Weekend. I'm so excited about tonight's show. Tonight's show, we have Janice L. Kearney coming on to discuss only on Sundays, Mahalia Jackson's Long Journey. Next up, we'll have Patricia Saunders discussing her book, Saying Goodbye. Following that, we'll have Patricia L. Gaston uh, discussing her nonfiction book, Purposeful Living Journey, followed by Donna Reed uh, discussing her newly released book, Donna Said, An Illustrated Self-Help Journey. Tonight's show show's theme is nonfiction books and memoirs and autobiographies. This should be a fantastic lineup and a great assortment of books. Black Books Weekend is all about buying books for the holidays and not just Christmas or not just New Year's. Buying books or not for Kwanzaa, buying books all year long to give as gifts, to give the gift of knowledge. But during the month of December and during the month of January, we'd like for you to select the authors from Black Books Weekend as your books of the month and books to give as gifts. We're going to kick off tonight's show with Janice F. Kearney. Welcome to the show, Janice. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ella. It is my pleasure to be on your show tonight. So, Janice, this is uh, the book we're discussing tonight, only on Sundays, Mahalia Jackson's Long Journey. This is not your first book. So how many books have you written in all? I have written 10 books of my own, and I've written about seven books for others. I've been a ghostwriter over the last probably 10 or 15 years, and I've helped 
uh, writers write their books or people who aren't writers but have a story to share. Uh, so I've enjoyed doing that for a number of years. I don't do that any longer, but that was um, one of the things that I enjoyed doing over the last decade. Oh, wow. So one of the most famous things you helped with was with a president. So tell us about that. <laughs> My work uh, during the 90s was with the President Clinton's White House, and I served as his personal diarist, which meant that I was the living biographer, and I created a diary of his days, of what he did day to day as a president. And that was a most fascinating job for me, uh, someone who loves writing, but also someone who loves history. So I was able to marry those two together in my role as President Clinton's personal diarist. And I did that for um, five and a half years. Uh, I was there for the full eight years of his term, but I worked for U.S. Small Business Administration part of that time, and I worked in the White House uh, media office uh, for a short period. But um, the last job I had during his term was the presidential personal diaries. Have you ever written your own memoir? I have. I have. And when I left the White House, when uh, President Clinton's term was over in 2001, my husband and I moved to Chicago, and that is when I started my writing life, basically. Um, I've been writing since 2001, and that's when I also uh, started on my personal memoir, um, I say started. I didn't really start it then. I had started it years you know, earlier, uh, but I hadn't ever had the chance to really work on it. But in 2001, I took the time to work on my first personal uh, story, and that was Cotton Field of Dreams. And it was all about my childhood, my coming of age down in a very small town in, in Arkansas where my parents were sharecroppers and we grew up very poor. So I wanted to tell that story, not because of, you know, our poverty and all of that, but because we had amazing parents and they instilled so many um, great values in us. They, they had 18 children and all of us came away from that childhood believing that that was the foundation that God planted for us because it set us on our journey to be whatever it was that we had dreamed of being. And our parents down on Varner Road always told us, you can be whatever you want to be as long as you dream big enough. You have to dream and then you have to work. So I wanted to write about um, that journey, but I also wanted to give, um, you know, a shout out to my parents. I called it a love letter to my parents, actually. My mother died very early. She was only 64 when she died in 1982. But my dad lived to be 107. So I was wow. very blessed. Yeah, I was very blessed that he was still living. Um, he was turning, he was about 98 or 99 when my book came out. So he was still able to enjoy uh, the story and was so grateful. Uh, that I wrote the book. 
that's incredible. Wow, what a legacy to leave to leave their, mm-hmm. their story in a book. That is incredible. And mm-hmm. he lived to see it and read, you know, yeah. have at least have you read it to him. I, oh no, he he read it to himself. He he was my father was was really active until he left here in, at 107. Uh, he he was the Sunday school teacher. He was the uh, superintendent for about 60 years in his church, and he was that until he left us in in 2013. Wow, that's an incredible story. So I I love hearing stories like that, and this Mahalia Jackson story. My family loved her. We had to listen to her music over and over and over. It was just on repeat on the it was on the radio when we were kids, and then when it became on albums and records, we had to listen to it. They loved some Mahalia Jackson, and yes. then there was a time during the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, she was a part of. We heard this story. <laughs> Every week. So this book, only on Sundays, Mahalia Jackson's Long Journey. What does that title mean? I know only on Sunday got to mean something. <laughs> my my perception of only on Sundays, it, it kind of um, is a play on how she felt about herself, her self-image of who she was. Um, her story just grabbed me when I first learned about it Um, and what I learned is that she was not someone that people thought would ever be anybody she was this really dark tall skinny woman and she she was born with really really curved legs and there's a there's an actual uh, physician's term for it that I I can't remember what it is, but they were really bold. And she would walk, when she walked, people would make fun of her because of her bold legs. And people, you know, they just didn't think that there would ever be, she would ever come to much. The one thing that she had going for her, the one thing was her singing. And she started singing at her family's church, Mount Moriah Church down in uh, New Orleans, in the black district that was once called Niggertown, um, she started singing at four years old at that church. And people would come from the other parts of the community, community and listen to her sing. This little four-year-old who had a voice so strong that people could hear it all outside the church. So Sundays was something really, really, really special to her. And she would dream about Sundays, and she could not wait until Sundays because the rest of the the week were were not really happy times for her. Her mother died early and left her. She grew up with her aunt who I'm sure loved her, but she was a hard woman and a hard, you know, taskmaster. So she looked forward to Sundays. That's when she was somebody, and people paid attention to her. And that's how um, that's how the title came, Only on Sundays. Now, I come from the Deep South, and mm-hmm. back, back in the day, when your parents passed away and you had to go live with family, 
oftentimes mm-hmm. that was very challenging and not good mm-hmm. for your self-esteem and nothing else. Right. So right. how was the mm-hmm. relationship with her and her aunt? Because most times this was <laughs> not really a good thing. You were safe and you were fed and maybe some education, right. but not much else. <laughs> That is about exactly right, and not even the education, unfortunately. She she had a very con- contentious relationship with her. One of the first things her aunt said to her is that, okay, you are not going to be pampered. You're not going to be, you know, nobody's going to pay attention to you because of your voice. You are, go- you are I am not your mother. I am Aunt Duke. That's what they called her, Aunt Duke. So her life changed 360 degrees when she went to stay with her Aunt Duke. Like I said, she was a hard taskmaster. Uh, Mahalia became the workhorse, basically, for the house. She did everything. And it came to, I think she was in the fourth grade, her aunt told her, we can't afford for you to go to school. We need you to help out. And Mahalia had to quit school, and she started working like a grown person. She was became that's when she became this washerwoman. You heard, I mean, most people know that she was a washerwoman, but she started that when she was ten years old. She she kept children. She helped her oh. uh, aunt out in in white people's homes. She worked. I mean, that was what her life was. That's all that was expected of her: keep the house clean, cook, go out and work. You know, they hired her out to work for other people. So that's the kind of life that she lived. Wow. So how Mm -hmm. did she get to be the Mahalia Jackson that just became legendary? (laughs) How did her Mm -hmm. career take off? Who found her? How did she Mm -hmm. get into the music industry? Mahalia Jackson left New Orleans at 16 years old. She and, and her Aunt Duke hated it. She hated it. She tried really hard for her not to go. But Mahalia knew that there was something else for her. She told her aunt and everybody else that she was going to Chicago to go to nursing school. Somebody had given her this little ad for this uh, black hospital in Chicago that was looking for nurses to train, women to train for nursing. And I think Mahalia had convinced herself that's what she was going to do. And her aunt, she had an aunt, Aunt Belle, who said, yes, let's go, and, and you're going you're gonna to go to school, and this will be the best thing for you. And once she got there, her Aunt Belle said, we really need you to work and help us pay for everything. You know, we've got this house. I mean, not a house. It wasn't a house. They lived in an apartment. We've got an apartment. We've got utilities. We really need some help. It was two aunts that lived together, and one of the aunts had lost her job. So when Mahalia got there, that's when they told her, we need you to work. So maybe next year you can go to to training school. Well, Mahalia, she had to take it. You know, she was up there. But in the back of her mind, singing was going to be the thing that she – that would move her from just being a work woman to something that she loved. One of her aunts had told her when she was young that they called a seer, and she told her that 
you will one day walk with kings and queens. Mahalia took that to heart. She believed it. She believed that this was in her future. So when she got to Chicago, yes, she worked, but she also found her a church where she could sing. Uh, and she she started out, she had to audition. They loved her. She became a singer in the choir. And then there was a group at the church, and she became a part of that group, and that was the beginning. They They traveled around Chicago. They ended up traveling outside of Chicago, and people started noticing her. Now, a lot of the churches in Chicago, the more prominent churches, they didn't like Mahalia singing. They didn't like Mahalia the way she performed. Because she had this little jazzy kind of way of singing, even though it was uh-huh. gospel, and kind of moved around a little bit. Uh-uh. They said, don't bring that up here. We got away from that. <laughs> you bring the country up here. We, can't, we don't need that in our churches. So she ended up singing in really small churches, uh, storefront churches. She'd even sing at um, tent meetings. And she did a lot of traveling around, like Gary, Indiana, places like that, outside Chicago to sing, because they really didn't, didn't, you know, cater to her kind of singing. It wasn't until some white producers heard her and asked her to come in and um, take a song. And that is when people started hearing her. They heard her, and slowly but surely, her, her uh, popularity started growing. People started wanting her, mostly the white people, to tell you the truth. That's what it started out. And um, she ended up doing a lot of singing for white audiences. She would, people in New York would hire her to come up and, and sing. So that's how she, she got her start, slowly but surely. But she never gave up her jobs until she became really big. She held on to, you know, her staple, something she knew that was going to be there for her. One thing that, that most people don't know about her, though, was she was a really good businesswoman. She was extremely smart when it came to business. She saved her money. She also started businesses. She was always very good with hair. So she started a hair place. She went to a training school um, uh, Madam C.J. Walker had a school in Chicago, and, and Mahalia went to it, and she got her certificate, and she opened her own shop. And so she had a, a beauty shop, and it did really well. She had a floral shop because she loved flowers. She loved plants. She was very good at that, and she also was a singer. She was a church singer, and a lot of the, the um, pastors, when they had funerals, they would ask her to come and sing at the funerals. So she became known around the city of Chicago as a funeral singer. So it made perfect sense to her. If I'm going to be singing at the, at the funerals, I'm going to have a floral shop because I can sell my flowers to that same church. Uh, so she, was, she always was thinking uh, like a businesswoman, always. She bought up land. She bought up um, uh, buildings. Uh, she bought up uh, apartment complexes. She was very, very good in uh, acquiring property and businesses. 
Wow. That's an incredible story. For those of you who are joining us now, we're discussing only on Sundays, Mahalia Jackson's Long Journey, and uh, we're speaking with author Janice F. Carney. So, uh, Janice, is the book out now for sale? Yes, yes. The book actually came out in October of 2022, and I did that on purpose because October is her birthday. October 26th is her birthday. So last year, October 2022, the book came out. So I've I've done, you know, book events all around um, the country and talked about Mahalia Jackson. And I'm always surprised when people don't know very much about her. She's been out here all these years. Everybody knows about her singing now. Everybody knows about her singing. But they don't know much about her beyond that. And I'm one of those people, and my family loves her, and I know very little. So I will be getting the book only on Sunday because I love anything historical. So, Mm -hmm. Janet, how Mm -hmm. can people following Black Books Weekend and Band Radio Show purchase only on Sundays the Mahalia Jackson store? Well, you can you can purchase it at a number of places because it is at like Amazon, um, all of the different places that Amazon uh, caters to. It's also at um, Ingram um, and all the different bookstores that they cater to. And you can order it like um, order it from Barnes and Noble. Um, there's there's several different places you can buy it, but you can also go to my website which is www.wildpublishing.org, Wild Publishing. That's the name of my, um, my publishing company, and you can order it. And what I tell people is if you want to order it from me personally, I will sign it, I will autograph it for you, and I'll mail, get it mailed to you. Um, but you can, you can order it. You can put it in right now, and it will come up. Uh, on Amazon and some of the other, Barnes and Noble and other places. Well, Janice, I want to thank you so much for joining us Black Books Weekend and introducing us to this book. And I will be promoting this book the rest of the month and probably again (laughs) during Black History Month because we need stories like these. And if someone doesn't tell us, these stories mm-hmm. will pick up other people's stories that aren't mm-hmm. always factual. So thank mm-hmm. you so much, Janice, for joining thank us, you. and I definitely thank will you. be picking up a copy. Thank you, Ella, so much. Okay, you have a wonderful evening and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Bye-bye. Okay. So, Band Radio Show family, we're moving on in the lineup. I hope each and every one of you will go out and tell 10 people about only on Sundays, the Mahalia Jackson Long Journey. So, next up, we have Patricia A. Saunders. She's going to be discussing her book, a nonfiction book, Saying Goodbye. Welcome to the show, Patricia. Hi, Ella. Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate the opportunity. So, Patricia, you're a friend to the show. We have had you on for a number of years. You've always been a great supporter. We love your books. So how many books do you have right now? 
This is my seventh book. Wow, wow. So tell us a little bit about how you started writing and and what this journey has been like for you. Well, I started writing as a child, but I got serious about it after the passing of my mother, who had Alzheimer's. And what it did is it, it impacted me in a way that I felt that if I inherited the ugly disease, what would my legacy be? And it would be my words. And so my first, I want to say my first four books were all dealing with poetry. Um, then I did a memoir um, that talked about the journey of, you know, the, the relationship with my mother and myself, just growing up and dealing with grief. And then um, the last book, um, Saying Goodbye, um, I decided I wanted to do a tribute to my sister who passed last November um, from cancer. Um, it was thing to do my research and just go through that grieving process because I realized that I'm the youngest of 13. Um, my father passed with cancer. Um, majority of my siblings have passed with cancer. And so with writing the book, not only did I have to look at here's the stigma that is, you know, in the black community and it's impacting families all over the world, but here was my way of going through the grief process and the healing. So in your newly released book, Saying Goodbye, tell us what it is you hope to accomplish by telling your sister story in the sisterhood, the her going through this with her, the, and then finally accepting that this could be terminal. What was that like, and what do you want the audience to get from that? So with cancer, all different forms of cancer, um, it, it, it impacts everyone, right? Either you have someone in your family or you know someone, in your, you know, in your, in your village, you know, as I would say, um, that one, you take on the role of being a caregiver or giving support. And so I'm hoping that this book will, one, um, touch the caregiver, touch those who have the sister bond, um, not necessarily biological, but, you know, you have your friends who are like sister sees that you have to put on this front and be strong for them in times when they are weak. With dealing with my sister who let me know in March that she had terminal cancer, it spread like wildfire. And the relationship between she and I, she being the eldest and me being the youngest, um, there were these dynamics. There were these situations that were coming up. And going through it, I think that anyone reading the book will be able to relate, relating to one relationship, relating to having to say goodbye. Um, I realized that my sister was in acceptance before I was. And when, when I got to that point, it was like, okay, let me support her in this transition. So when you find out that someone is terminal and that they have accepted and that the time is winding down. 
what are some ways or what are some things that you can do to bring those people peace? Because, see, with my anxiety and my overcrying and overreacting, I would just cause more drama and comfort. I mean, so right. what are some things you can help them cope or make them comfortable? Um, she did not want me to take on that role of caring for her. She wanted my other siblings who were older to take care of her because she knew what I had gone through with the passing of my mother, right? But what I wanted to continue to do is letting her know that I loved her. Um, If she said she wanted a sweatsuit so that she could go to her treatment, boom, Amazon and I were best of friends. If she said that she was experiencing uh, nausea, uh, again, I was getting the, the little candies with the ginger. So she realized in the end um, when she held my hand and she said, I saw you. Uh, I, I, I see when I look around my house and I see the little trash cans so that whenever I get sick, I, I see that you purchased that. Uh, when when she said she wanted little uh, um, jackets or little robes to be in the bed so that when guests came to see her, she looked presentable. She said, I, I know that you did that. It it helped me to feel like I was helping um, because I was making her comfortable. Um, if she said she wanted me to grease her scalp, then guess what? I was going to grease her scalp. But it was doing whatever it was to make her comfortable um, and not having it where she could see the fear in my face. I mean, I might uh-huh. cry in the car, uh-huh. but I didn't do it in front of her. And it let her know that I was okay. And that, and, and that's the thing I think that most of us have to come to grips with and why I think that all of my readers should get saying goodbye. So have you prepared a passage that you could read to us from saying goodbye? So what I decided to do, because what I've heard so many people say, um, the book has different chapters. It has pictures, but it also has some poetry in it because my sister was a poet, and that was one thing that we had a bond about. By reading the poems, it ended up having people to go and start reading the chapters to understand why I had written those those pieces. Um, So I have uh, one that I wanted to read called Ashes to Ashes. Okay, so you can take off, you know, introduce it, and you can take off, and I'm going to mute myself so that you get a good, clean read. Okay, thank you. Ashes to ashes. Ashes from the body. Excuse me. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I could accept you were leaving me, but I wasn't ready for the next phase. There would be no viewing of the body, no picking out the casket, picking out the outfit you would wear. Then I drove to where you wanted your ashes to be spread. And as I stood on the embankment, seeing the stillness of the water, the sky blue, the air is fresh, the tears flowed. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust is sure. In confidence, hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Purple the color of royalty. It was my mother's favorite color. When she passed, I found a ring and was drawn to the color. I brought it and I placed it on my finger and I wore it daily. 
I brought a suit that you, excuse me, I brought a suit that was purple too. I wore it for the essential meetings because the feeling of authority, ancestors, and my mother's spirit made me feel unstoppable. It was only natural that I noticed a change from my favorite color to now it's purple. I'm a queen and I'm a child of the king. Ashes to ashes. Wow. I have, a, I have one more, if, if that's okay. Yes. I, I mean, I'm just really, I was just really thinking about that. Please, by all means. The the next one is called The Last Day. And what what drew me to write this piece is my sister was taken to the hospital, and I knew that the, the end was near. I could see the look in her eyes. And that last day before she passed, I kissed her on the forehead, and you know how you could feel the, the, the body temperature changing, and I knew uh-huh. that she would be passing soon. And I, I wrote the piece called The Last Day. She, she passed the next day on a Friday, November 18th at 1230. The last day. I saw the look in your eyes. You were looking through me like you were seeing me, excuse me, seeing past me to your destiny. I recognized that look. I saw it before. I knew it wouldn't be much longer. I held your hand and the warmth was had gone. Your last day here on earth, my heart breaking into pieces. Feelings flooding, the tears welling up in my eyes, kissing your cheek, saying goodbye on your last day. Oh, so man. With, with this and with her passing, I did an impromptu visit. I, I drove, and I didn't want to be with my family on a Christmas, and I drove to Monterey, which is... Um, one of the places that my sister just loved and adored and where she wanted her ashes to be spread. And so I went by myself um, for Christmas last year. And from the hotel, I was able to walk to like Fisherman's Wharf back and forth. And I stopped. It was just something that just made me stop. And when I stopped, I was able to look out at the water. I was able to look out at the sailboats. I was able to smell the air. And it reminded me of my childhood in Connecticut, you know. And so I understood. It was right at that moment where I understood why that's where she wanted her ashes to be spread, right? That's why, you know, she didn't want to be buried in the ground. I understood. And at that point, I stood there with the tears just flowing, and I said goodbye. Oh. That is just so powerful, and that's another reason why I think saying goodbye would be a good gift book, to give it to people who have lost someone and may be struggling with their acceptance, struggling with grief. Grief is so uh, overwhelming at times. So saying goodbye would be the perfect tool to give 
other people, for us too. But even after hearing you uh, read from it tonight, there are some people on my timeline this week who have lost people this week. There are so many people on my timeline. I think I'm going to just reach out to them personally and recommend the book because saying goodbye is the hardest part in those days after saying goodbye, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's next. I lived it um, after KB, my life partner, passed away. I'm three years later trying to figure out how to say goodbye and what to do after saying goodbye. So, Patricia, you've written a number of great books, poetry and other books, and you have a wonderful blog, and you do marvelous events and um, really stay in tune with the literary community. How can our listeners for Black Books Weekend and Band Radio, how can they find out more about you in all of your books? Oh, thank you. So I have it where if they go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, um, they are able to uh, find out more about the books, as well as I have a website, uh, which is www.patriciaasaunders.com. Um, I'm on Facebook at Blessed Poet Pat. I am also on Instagram at Blessed Poet Pat. Um, also, I have it where I'm going to be doing a coast-to-coast book tour um, in 2024 at the Los Angeles Times Book Festival, the Miami International Book Festival, and the Tucson um, Book Festival. So I am going to be all over where people can get the book, paperback as well as ebooks. Awesome, awesome. Well, Patricia, thank you for taking this time to join us for Black Books Weekend. I hope you can continue to stay on the show for our next two guests. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing my first Amazon Live interview with you in the next couple of weeks. I just had to get past Black Books Weekend. But it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. Okay. So next up, we have Miss Patricia L. Gatston, and she's going to be discussing her nonfiction book, Purposeful Living Journey. Welcome to the show, Miss Gaston. Hello, Miss Patricia. I apologize. I have myself on mute. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. How are you this evening? I'm doing wonderful and looking forward to talking with you and talking about purposeful living. <laughs> okay. So purposeful living will also become a course in a, a, a course, a class, a webinar. So, Ms. Gaston, tell us a little bit about your work in the community. You've won numerous awards. If I tried to call them out, it would it would take 15 minutes to read them all. So tell us about your work in the community and your company. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, the company is Life of Steam Incorporated, uh, which I founded approximately 30-some years ago now. 
And I actually founded it as a result of really looking and thinking about uh, my and others' self-esteem and how we felt about ourselves and how that impacted and affected every area and decision of our lives. And as a result of that, I got very engaged in our community here. I actually relocated here to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 34 years ago from the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, that was my home, uh, you know, for the first 34 years of my life. And then I relocated here. I remarried. That's what brought me to Harrisburg. And I had a daughter from a previous marriage, and I always wanted more children. And my husband then and I talked about it, and we talked about what about adoption. And I knew absolutely nothing about adoption. I didn't know anyone who ever been adopted. and wasn't quite sure what to, how to proceed or go forth. And finally, after doing a little research, I was uh, directed to our Children and Youth Service office here in Dolphin County, and um, they had suggested we become foster parents to make sure we, in fact, wanted to be adoptive parents. So that's what we actually took. And the very first placement in our home were two siblings who were four and a half months old and 19 months old. And we finally, some years later, were able to really officially adopt those two young ladies who are now adults and have their own family. We had other children through over eight or nine-year period. But again, after working with those children, I could tell how most of them felt that it was something they might have done that caused them, unfortunately, to be in what I call stranger care and not with their family for whatever reason. And as a result of that, uh, they really were dumping on themselves and not feeling good about themselves. So as a result of getting engaged and learning about this community, I got involved in a lot of volunteer activities and really wanted to be available to assist and help support others uh, in various ways. So that's really, uh, as you said, there's so many things I got engaged in, but uh, it really helped me work with my daughters and also learn and know more about this community. So with Purposeful Living Journey, tell us what your mission is, because it's ultimately going to become a self-paced course. So introduce us to the book and the course. Thank you. I appreciate that. The uh, book actually is uh, it's a Purposeful Living Journal, uh, which I'm actually going to make a journey is to uh, give people the opportunity to work through the journal's journey and experience a number of different activities. And uh, it's a six-mini-series that will get started after uh, January of 2024, sometime within that month. And uh, we're going to start with, first, the art of finding your purpose. And then the next module will be aligning with personal values. Third would be uh, looking at your what's in it for me and make me feel important about myself framework, which they'll learn more about that. And then Module 4 would be Unlocking Your Creativity and Balance. And then Module 5 is Mastering the Planner itself as to how they can really make advantage and be able to utilize it and make it a part of their everyday life. And then Module 6 is Overcoming Limitations Through Mindset that a lot of times challenge us in tackling beliefs and redefining success. So that's the mini-series. And I got started with this because... I do a lot of work, again, in our community, and I have a number of different contracts I've had over the years. And one of those contracts is with the County Department of Drug and Alcohol Services here. And as a result of that, I've been able to work with families in our community for a number of years 
uh, working on three programs or evidence-based programs where the whole family comes. It's not just for parents, uh, the children and the parents. And uh, even if they have children of child care age, we have uh, child care uh, providers that are there to work in the system, be with them. And then I started working with individuals in recovery. And there was on numerous occasions during a lot of these training sessions I was conducting, people would ask me, so what is the bottom line? Why is it that we get into these behaviors? And why do we want to self-medicate and get engaged in other behaviors that are detrimental to our health and our well-being and so many matters and fashions? And it came down to, again, the lack of self-esteem as I initially started, again, some 30 years ago. But what I really discovered, Ella, people don't know their purpose. They don't know what they're here to be and serve. And they're really like a void, and they can't really put their finger on it or get some clarity. And I know that most of us don't realize or recognize that we work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with our values and our needs, what is important to us and what do we need to do. And if those two things are not aligning with each other, then that's how we start really having low self-worth, uh, we start making poor choices and decisions, and I just want to be uh, a person to strategize and assist and allow them to work through this to get some clarity as to what that is for them. I love this quote by Mark Twain, and Mark Twain said, the two most important days in our lives is the day we were born and the day we found out why. And that's oh, what I want people to do. I like that. <laughs> yes. So I want to help people find out that why, why they were born, what are they here to do, how are they here to serve. Because we're all here to be of service to each other in some fashion, a way, or manner, and I want to help people discover that. Because that's what's wrong with about 80% of the working population. They don't know why they're here. They don't know what their true purpose in life is. They've settled for things that they are, you know, able to provide for themselves and uh, their families, but in a lot of instances, they're just not fulfilled. They're not satisfied, and they can't put their finger on why they're unsatisfied. And I want to help them discover for themselves and to see what that might be for them. So journaling, how can journaling be a tool for their and especially for young people and men, my goal in 2024 is to try and help men get some help and find some peace in their purpose. So how could journaling help these two group groups? Because young people are so much into technology, and men seem to want to do everything but write or read. <laughs> So how can we help two groups with purposeful living journey, the journal? Well, again, it's a mini-series, uh, which is going to be very, very uh, not long, lengthy sessions. It's not really helping them, uh, you know, work through the journal and uh, what their thoughts and feelings may be at any given point or time, but it's really very self-explanatory. And some of the activities and exercises that we do 
I really know that people really can benefit from it and uh, be willing to jot down some notes. They don't have to write, uh, you know, vigorously for hours or anything of that nature, just the first things that come to their minds and then go back later and de- delve deeper and see how they might want to add to some of those thoughts or some of those things that they've been uh, recording in their journal. But it's a really healing piece is journaling, and that's a personal thing that no one else has to have access to it unless someone wants to are willing to share some of their thoughts with others. But they don't have to feel that's what they initially have to do. It's for their own purpose and uh, personally how they want to make that work best for them. Now, I have been journaling since I was in my 20s, and that's how I can see my progress. Whenever there's something I'm trying to accomplish, I write down my little action plan and the steps to make it happen. And when I can look back and see how far I've come, that's the thing that kind of helps me with journaling. And it documents my emotions most of the time. That's what I'm doing with journaling. And for my career, I write out the things I want to see happening in the future and try and set some goals, reasonable ones. So with your journal, Purposeful Living Journey, do you focus mostly on the personal life or a good balance between personal and career? As you just mentioned, it's a balance between both, personal and professional and really looking at getting some ideas and thoughts. And to answer answer your question initially, one of the things about journaling in this particular journal is that they have the opportunity with prompts to really start their thinking and that they can take that thought and think about one of the sections is about positive thinking and how important that is. And uh, one of the first things I ask them to do is write down your negative thoughts. I mean, what negative thoughts are you keeping, you know, carrying on with you. And is this true or useful, these thoughts? And, you know, answer that. What factors might be contributing, okay, to this negative thought or thinking? And list evidence to support it if it's true, okay, or useful in some way. And list evidence to uh, support if this is something that you need to continue to have negative thoughts. Then rephrase some of those thoughts into more realistic, positive things. So there are little prompts along to assist them, help them complete and look back at some point at their journey and their journal out to see if they come back in a week or a month or, you know, next year. So, yeah, I have done some things here. So there are really some really good activities and prompts and ways for them to not feel overwhelmed, not feel uh, ineffective, uh, not be able to feel they can respond in a way and manner that could be useful for them. So on your website, will there be other uh, resources in January to go along with the journal and the course, the class? Most certainly. Actually, I just have a website that just has been completed, and it's actually the website is under plgadsden.com. That's plgadsden, G-A-D-S-D-E-N. And the Purposeful Living series is under media. You'll go to media in the tab, and you hit click that and then go to the Purposeful Living. And it has a lot of the information I just shared with you 
and there'll be some other um, YouTube, uh, you know, that'll be available in regard to these sessions will be done viral and that they can follow along and I can assist them as they're working through the journal. Well, you have a Facebook group so that you can build a community with this audience, or does it need to be kept private? You know, will people want to just work uh, alone and with you one-on-one, or will you you have a community that brings them all together? I believe initially we'll probably start with it not being public, that because uh, there might be things that people don't want to want to have to need to share with any and everyone, but we will discuss that as we're moving along in the series how people feel about that, and if they're willing and wanting to be a part of that special you know group or private group, and uh, continue to have outside discussions and to help support each other through the processing of the journal and responding to some of the different activities. So you've said the word series a couple of times. So that this won't be the only product on this line. Absolutely not. Uh okay. as we continue to grow and develop and to because not only am I doing the purposeful living journey, I myself I'm a uh I have my whole motto is don't re- retire, reinvent. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yes. And that's how we're going to continue these conversations and these other activities and these other uh, opportunities to continue journeying outside of the series itself. Uh, I've been doing training and development for over 30 years. I have uh, Finding Your Balance is a workshop I have. I have Don't Retire, Rewire is a training I have. I have a number of different ones that we can really work through and assist any and everyone uh, they may need something more uh, different in their lives in some way. Okay, now I'm loving that. Now that's exciting because that I I have been in this industry a long time, but I don't recall seeing a lot of projects and resources that are helping retirees invest in themselves. So I'm loving it. We got to talk about that a little more. <laughs> Yes, we do. I like that. Oh, go ahead. I I, I also, uh, I'm just thinking about is uh, purposeful living. And one of the things that life, uh, the name of my my company was Life Esteem Incorporated, as I mentioned earlier. And that whole thing about life and the reason I came up with the name was to somehow associate it with uh, building and helping support people with their self-esteem, their self-worth, their self-identity. And because life is to discover your gift. That's what life is about, is discovering your gift. And but the purpose of life is to share that gift with others. And that's what I want to be able to see occur and happen, is to allow people to discover the gift, their purpose, and then how do they share that. And I'm using this concept that I learned about a few years ago called E.T. Guy, E.T. And that's a Japanese concept. And the idea is that it's usually used to indicate the source of value in one's life or things that make one's life worthwhile. So what I want people to do is be able to take time to contemplate where your life is. And the four modules that they use in these inner circles 
is finding people. What do you love? What do you love to do? What did you get excited about and love to do? That's the first thing. Then what are you good at? What do you know you're good at doing? And then the next thing is what does the world need? And that's the other piece that people don't know. What does the world need? The world needs you. They need you in some manner or whether the gift that you have God-given gift that you have. But then outside of that, what can you get paid to do? So if you have to intersect all of them, to lock all of these different four areas, and that's defining the purpose and being able to allow people to look at that because in that what you love, you have your mission, your passion, uh, your uh, what can you be paid for, your, or what the world needs, vocation, is to interlock all those, and that's what we're going to do in this mini-series, but outside the mini-series in additional workshops that are going to be made available. Now, I like that. I like serving the community and helping them to uplift themselves because when I think of purpose, I don't know. Whenever I think of purpose, I think of service. I think I think of helping someone else. Uh, I did a workshop some years ago talking about purpose and and all the other things that people kept saying, it was all about them, all about them. But when I think of purpose, I think about serving others. So, Ms. Gadsden, I am loving this, and I can't wait to see this all come to pass and just blossom. So the title of the book and soon-to-be course coming in January 2024 is Purposeful Living Journey. The journal. Now, once again, Ms. Gaston, before we go, can you give us the website so that we can have our people locking it in? And I'll be promoting it all this month across the web, but I want them to have this website so they can go and be locking that down and getting prepared. Thank you, most definitely. It's P L Gaston, G A D S D E N. And thank you so much. I have enjoyed this conversation, and I can't wait till we do our one-on-one interview to go deeper into this. This is amazing, fabulous. I love it. So um, next up we have Ms. Donna Reed. I hope that you can stay on the show and listen to her story and testimony as well. And I look forward to meeting you in person and exploring more about your books and projects. I'd appreciate it, and yes, definitely, I will stay on. Okay, and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well, and happy new year. Okay, so Band Radio Show family, this has been an amazing uh, show. So prior to now, you have heard, uh, from Janice F. Carney and Kearney, Janice F. Kearney, and you've heard from Patricia A. Saunders and Patricia L. Gaston. Now we're going to meet Miss Donna Reed. Her book is Donna Said: An Illustrated Self-Help Journey. Welcome to the show, Miss Donna Reed. Thank you. How are you today? I am doing great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. After taking all your distinguished guests before me, I'm your newbie. I'm excited. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the band radio show family. Once you're in, you're in. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you. 
And I hope this won't be the only project that we get to learn about and work on. Um, so I know a little bit about the book. Donna said a illustrated self self-help journey because it comes from your clients going back to their friends and family and saying, guess what Donna said. <laughs> so, Miss Donna, tell us a little bit about your company. Tell us about the work that you do. Well, I'm a licensed professional therapist, and I, I have a company called Love First, and I've been doing therapy for 20-plus years, perhaps 30. I'm not sure anymore. And um, I uh, was talking with a client one day as I'm always hearing them say, I told somebody what you said. I told somebody you said this. I told them you said this. So I said, you know what? Here's a book that Donna said because these are things you think are important enough to want to share with people so this would be a good chance to put it in writing and it would be a nice kind of brief way to look at some thoughts without having to do a huge self-help book. So when it says a illustrated self-help journey, what does that mean? So what happened when they were telling me their stories, they were telling me they told somebody at work or maybe when they were hanging out with someone at the, at the bar or perhaps they were doing some gym activity, and they were just sharing thoughts. So the pictures represent different places where they were sharing their thoughts. Okay. So tell us a little bit about some of the treatments or courses or the ways that you work with people in your company? It varies because people are different. People show up being, you know, with their own behaviors and their own uh, things that they're working on. So I don't like to say I use one style to do anything because I meet all kinds of people. So I would say I'm eclectic in my approaches to working with people so I do whatever they need. So are they people that just come off the street or from the agency or medical, how how do you get these clients? Initially, I got a lot of clients by word of mouth as I met people from referrals that they, I'm involved with insurance companies, because they would be in their insurance uh, site looking for a provider. They would find me and, and meet with me, and then they would go back and tell people they knew about me, and I got a lot of referrals that way. And that's how I met a lot of my clients from other people telling them about me. But there, I am on many insurance sites. So people do find me that way. Okay, okay, because that mm-hmm. I want it. I want my people to be able to find you as well. Mm-hmm. So, Miss Donna, introduce us to the book and run through some of the chapters or some of the topics or some of the things you think is important that you think is important for our audience. Okay, well, it's a it's a self help journey of uh, thoughts and practices to help manage your life in a manner that would bring you more joy, self-worth, and love into your existence. And the ideas presented are taken directly from therapeutic clients embracing concepts that they've learned through the therapy experience. They often found that what they discovered through these personal discussions around growth and change was basic information they felt compelled to share with others. When reporting what they were sharing, it appeared they were sharing it in many different environments like I shared with you before. Their uh, messages were what Donna said and then whatever thought they felt might benefit the listener. And this prompted, Donna said, as an illustrated cliff note kind of style handbook to with various seeds of thought that one could apply to many situations they're presented with while being human. I so, thought about sharing with, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Go ahead. 
was going to tell you I have a, a section of reflections in the book, and I thought I would go through that with you guys to kind of give you some idea of one of my clients who took this very seriously and sent me some things he wanted me to include in the book, and I put it in my reflections. It was so thorough. So one thing he wrote was, things I learned from Donna. Throw away the word stress. Language is so important when it comes to how we think about ourselves and the world around us and can even shape our, our destiny if we let it. When we use words, we start subconsciously painting a picture of the world around us, and then we can start to inhabit, and therefore it's important to use words wisely and carefully to help shape the future that we want rather than the one that we have become accustomed to due to our upbringing, our childhoods, and even more simply, Donna borrowed this from the book, The Four Agreements. And what it means is that we tend to be the hero or villain from the main protagonist in our own narrative and journey. The problem is everyone else has themselves as their own protagonist as well as oftentimes we take what others do to us as a reflection of how we, who we are when it really is how they see the world. We talked about allowing ourselves to take time to recognize that people are living their own stage and we should be careful that we don't think that what they say is about us. And that's just a couple of thoughts that are in the book and things to think about for the uh, people who are going to be reading the book and they want to look at change for themselves. I love it. Now, in your book, is there a space for people to write their thoughts and reflections? No, it's not a journal. No, it's not a journal at all. It's just an opportunity to look at some thoughts and just, and hopefully what I'm hoping to do is I know I read self-help books, and often when I'm reading them, I feel like there's so much information that I have to remember or try to digest, and it's hard sometimes to keep it all together. I want it to be something very brief and to the point that would allow a person to have something they could refer to if they had an experience that somebody was, they had to forgive somebody for something or something was happening where they felt like they had to prove that they were somebody other than who they were. They could just throw a look at this and get a, a quick and they could do differently with the thought. I like that part because with most of us filling our lives up, we're so busy and with work and kids and, and all the other things that distract us, I like stuff that keep it very brief and to the point, uh, kind of almost like bullet points even, because I can yeah. dissect that and keep on the move. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was my thought, too, to make it as simple as possible. So it's very simplistic, but it's also very powerful thought. But you don't have a lot of words around it to confuse you. You kind of get the thought and, and can digest the thought and maybe visit a thought a day as opposed to reading the whole thing at one time. Now, that's a good idea because I have a book of affirmations, and there mm-hmm. none of them are more than three lines. So throughout the day, I can read them over and over. I can repeat them. I can remember it. And I'm kind of like what you said, if it's a lot of text, a lot of stuff for me to do because I get busy, caught up, and I guess I must have ADD because I'm very easily distracted. I'll forget Mm -hmm. that I'm reading that book and lay it down (laughs) and not pick it back up. Uh, So, Ms. Donna, let's talk about a couple of topics. Um, I have a new podcast that's called She Speaks Truth. And so we went through about six episodes because I'm just trying to get a feel of what's going on out in the world because I feel like I live in a bubble and I'm not into relationships and I don't deal with too many people unless I'm working. But on this show, there's a few words that just keep coming back over and over 
and over. And one of those words is abandonment. That topic is all on the news. It's on social media. And even in my own personal network, the word abandonment. So what would you have to say about people who are feeling like everyone leaves them? Uh, family members, relationships. What's your thoughts on the topic of abandonment? I guess the first thought is that it's real. People do leave us and move on in different directions. But the thing to realize is that it's not about you that they've left. To recognize that whatever happened was the reason that they left. To understand people are moving in based upon their own experiences. And sometimes it will impact you, but it isn't about you. So that requires a long discussion talking about how you see it and how it really happened and what really is real about it. And not I taking like it personal. And I believe in the four agreements that you mentioned. Don't take it personal. Mm-hmm. I've been following it since my last divorce is when I took it. <laughs> I've been following the four agreements, and I believe in that. Don't take it personal. So mm-hmm. one other topic that has really been making the rounds is trauma bonding, and that's kind of like you in love with people because you both hurt. You you are gravi- you both are gravitating to this pain, and with kind of like love. Uh, what is it? Um, Miserable people, what is it? Miserable people love other miserable people. So what are your thoughts on trauma bonding people who are both damaged and hurt getting in these relationships and just really wrapping themselves up in the misery of it all? Funny you mention that because I had a client just on Friday, and we talked about that because she was telling me how one of her friends wanted her to come over, and her friend recently had met somebody she was enjoying his company, and she didn't want to go because she felt like, she didn't want to hear the good news. She said when they got together, typically it was to talk about the bad things that were going on in their lives and the bad dates and the bad guys. And she was reluctant to go for fear that she would have to hear it and maybe feel jealous of it or feel insecure about it. And we talked about how she had built up a, na- a net- network of trauma bonding by only being with her when they were talking about things that were negative. So we put a pen in it that day to come back and revisit because it's really a big topic because I think you can create environments where you decide that this is what you need to do to be in that situation. You have to be that person because you're all set at the same time. It's not healthy. That misery love company thing is not. But I see Mm -hmm. it happening a lot. And I hate to admit it, but when I was growing up, that's what I saw in the women in my community. They would just mm-hmm. sit around and trash talk their husbands or significant others, and it seemed like they were trying to one-up each other on whose man was the worst. Mm-hmm. And it seemed mm-hmm. like they bonded around this miserable conversation, Misery Loves Company. Oh, my goodness. So those are some t- People do feel like someone's having the same experience that they're having, but I guess you have to look at that and understand that even though we all have some similar experiences, you don't want to get stuck in those places. You want to enjoy your life. And enjoy it with people who are like-minded, people who are happy and more positive. 
So, Miss Donna, um, we spoke with Miss Patricia L. Gaston right before you, and we talked about a lot about finding our purpose. So, does your book cover that any about people finding their purpose? Because I spent at least ten years of my life just surviving, not thriving. Just, just get up and go to work and come home and see about a kid. Get up, go to work, come home, see about a kid. There seemed like there was nothing beyond that. Someone had to take me out of that. So does your book talk about purpose and and why we are here, Any? It does. It talks about how you have to know who you are and how you have to like yourself. The liking yourself kind of opens up your whole venture, who, who life is about. Once you know who you are and like who you are, then you have all kinds of purposes, really. When you don't feel like you're talking one space or you don't know what your space is. So absolutely addresses it. I spent a whole year trying to figure out and get a true meeting of people always saying you got to love yourself, um, self-love. And to me, these were just words. I couldn't, I bought so many books, Ms. Donna. I know I bought at least 20 books on self-love, self-care, and I still did not get an answer, and I spent a year researching this, praying and journaling and writing, and I know I cannot be the only one trying to figure that out. <laughs> and you're not so, back. What does that mean? They ask me, what is it? when I say be kind to yourself, what does that mean? It means that you are not criticizing yourself because you make mistakes, because you don't make right choices that you end up liking all the time. That's a part of being self-love, making sure you're being kind to yourself, knowing you're not perfect and that you're going to make some decisions that you don't even like. But that's how you actually learn. Uh, I'm, I'm still on the journey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a work in well, progress. Be, well, be patient then. If you're working on progress, be patient with yourself as you're working on it. That's part of self-love, being patient with yourself, being kind to yourself. So in your book, Donna said, do you cover topics like that, people trying to find themselves? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of it's hard to kind of say directly what that would be because it's so the most important piece of any of this is knowing who you are and liking yourself. So knowing who you are is knowing that you're not going to be perfect. You're going to be human. You're going to be a human being who makes decisions that, again, you don't like. You're going to make choices that you wish you had made, and you're going to learn from them. The whole purpose of life is to learn. That's what we're here for, to learn lessons. Some lessons will come in a really difficult And one part of the four agreements is you're your every day be your best self, and tomorrow you get to be your best self again. And the next day, and the next day, you if you falter, you have the next day to become your best self. So I like that part, too. You can forgive yourself for whatever happened the, the day before. <laughs> yeah, because I put in our my book, I talk about best being very fluid because your best changes. It doesn't say the same all the time. Your best one day, if you could climb the Mount Everest, next day you can barely get out of bed. So best is very fluid. That about being at our best that day. So what are two things you would like people to really gravitate to and hold on to when your book comes out, Donna said, an illustrated self-help journey? I'd like people to pay attention to 
seeing how they can look at themselves and love who they are. That's the purpose of this, this piece is to learn to love yourself. So I would like that's what you should enter it thinking, I'm going to learn to love myself because that's the whole purpose of the entire book is to learn to love yourself and to like who you are just like you are as you grow yourself. As you're on a journey for loving yourself, you have to love yourself in the moment and then continue to grow yourself. I like that. I like that. So, Miss Donna, when will your book actually release? December 25th. Oh, it's coming out it'll on be, Christmas. <laughs> it'll be available on ebook December 25th through Amazon. And so that's cool. It gets comes out just in time for Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. Just in time, exactly. And it's be, make a great gift for people to give. And so that's the whole point of Black Books Weekend. We want people to give books as gifts to help give the gift of knowledge. This has been an amazing interview, Ms. Donna uh, Reed, and I know that we're going to be having one-on-one interviews and really break down the book once the book is released. But I wanted my people doing Black Book Weekend Black Books Weekend, to lock this in and know of potential books that are coming because book clubs and reading groups, they always pick their new books of the year of discussion. And people think book clubs are all about fiction books. But a lot of times some of these groups come together to work on themselves. And January mm-hmm. is when we all get that new year, new you attitude, and we want to fix ourselves and the people around us. And when yes, you please. have great tools like your book and Miss Gaston's books, it doesn't have to just stop in January or February. This can continue on so they really do get the life that they're looking for. Absolutely. Let me say also, if you would like to have a hard copy of the book, it will be also available in December, and you can order it, pre-order it through com. You can pre-order the hardbacks, right? I mean, hard copies, yeah. hard copies. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. So I'll be getting all of this information from you and putting it out across the web because I want our people to get help. I want people to feel mentally whole and well. So thank you, Miss uh, Donna Reed, uh, for being. I'm trying to see somebody's asking me about your book uh, in the chat room. <laughs> so Miss Donna Reed, um, the title of the book is Donna said an illustrated self help journey. So the question was, did you have a website? They thought I was going to leave that out. <laughs> So do you have a website or a blog so people can connect with you now? They can connect with me, but the book won't be on there until about two weeks. But my website is lovefirsttllc.com. Okay. Can you repeat that? It's lovefirst, as in Paul, com. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Donna. This has been a fun conversation. This has been an amazing event. It's hard to close out the shows when everything has been so informative and so so helpful and, and everything is, is something I want to own. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time to join us for Black Books Weekend. Thank you for having me. Take care. And, and happy holidays. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. So 
Band Radio Show family, there you have it. Uh, those are all the amazing authors and speakers we had for Black Books Weekend. We had Janice F. Kearney uh, with Only on Sundays, the Mahalia Jackson story. And then we had Patricia A. Saunders with Saying Goodbye. And we had Patricia L. Gatson with Purposeful Living Journey. And Donna Reed, her, the title of her book is Donna Said, an Illustrated Self-Help Journey. So thank you for joining us, and I hope that you will tell at least 10 people about tonight's show. It's so important to spread the word to others about all these wonderful books from talented people. Tell at least 10 people and go out and support the authors by visiting their websites and finding out more about them. My name is Ella Curry, and I own Crown Holders um, Transmedia, and I'm here every Monday and Wednesday night on Band Radio Show. Take care, family, and I'll see you right back here Monday night. Bye-bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.